Well, good morning. If we haven't met before, it's great to see you. If we haven't met before, then you know my name is Rob Jacobson, and we are in a series called Be Rich, which I'm sure you have loved talking about, because who doesn't love to talk about being rich or love to talk about money? Like everyone that goes to church regularly, it doesn't like to talk about money. But, but I'm rather excited about what, um, what God has been teaching me in this and what I think he wants to teach us. And so to start today... Uh, I would like to ask when the last time you really felt great at something was. Like, how many of you have had a moment where you're like, yes, I am great at this. There's a few of you that are, yes, there's a few of you that are willing to say that. That's right. I found out um, a few years ago that I am great at making situations more awkward. I mean, it's, it's a seriously, it's like a superpower. You know, I was just having an experience this morning where someone just like pointed something out and I'm like, yes, not only did I do that, I really did that to you. Um, you know, I have a coworker that, you know, might lead worship and, and she can give these creepy looks to people that are just amazing. She is great at giving like eye contact to people. I can't even do it, it's so good. But some of us might be great at, at school, you know, we, got, we were the valedictorian. Others of us might be great at drama or art, and we might have gotten the lead in a play. Others of us might be great at leadership. We were the captain of a team. Maybe great at, at sports and, and made the game-winning play. There's all these ways that we can be great, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being great. In fact, in the scriptures that God addresses lots of places and times where people are great and ambition is okay. It's just that God wants it to be holy ambition. And so today, though, I want to start with this story where uh, Jesus is talking and meeting with people and this guy really wants to be great at life. And he, he wants to be so great at life that he just says, Jesus, what else do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life, to be so good at living that I could have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, you know, first of all, only God is good, but, you know, do you follow the commandments? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I followed the commandments since, since I was young, you know, but, but what else? And Jesus looked at him, and he said, you know what, there's only one thing you have left to do. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me, because you will then have eternal life. And the story says that the man went away sad because he was very rich. And Jesus looked at him, and then he looked at the whole crowd, and he says, how hard is it for those who are rich to have eternal life? How hard is it for them to enter the kingdom of God? In, in fact, it's easier for like a camel to go through this little tiny needle, he says, than to enter the kingdom of God. And so there's been a lot of scholars that are like, oh, Jesus didn't really mean a real camel. He must have meant like camel cigarettes. Maybe not. Or, or Jesus didn't really mean a real camel. Okay, fine, he meant a real camel. But the eye of a needle, it was like this small gate, and it was really, really hard to get through. No, I'm pretty sure he meant a real camel and a real needle. It is really hard. And it's not that God calls all of us to give our stuff away. It's just that the guy, Jesus looked at this guy and he looked at his heart and he looked at his heart that was just holding tightly to the things he owned. So tightly that he couldn't open his hands to let any of those things go. 
And today, Jesus wants to put peace and joy in your hands. And if our hands are closed, we can't receive that peace and that joy from him. I don't want you to walk away sad today. I want you to walk away with a peace that passes any, any, any understanding. God doesn't want our stuff to have us. And in order for us to not have that, we've got to hold it all like this. So that's the image that I want us to have today as we look back at the verses that we started the series with, that we looked at last week, as we've talked about money, as we've talked about what it means to be rich, to to understand what true riches are, and to understand how we can be great at being rich, because God really does want us to be great at being rich. So last week, we looked at this letter from, to the people in Ephesus, to this young pastor named Timothy, who was who was with these people trying to help them to understand what it meant to be great at being rich. He said, command those who are already rich, who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their trust in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who gives generously for their enjoyment. God isn't against us having stuff. He's not against us being comfortable. He wants us to enjoy it. He just doesn't want us to hoard it or to put our hope in it. And then he says, command those to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up or they will store up for themselves treasures in heaven or store up for themselves in the firm foundation for the coming age so that they may be able to take hold of life that is truly life. And, And today... We look at what it means to be generous and willing to share. Last week, we talked about how if you make $32,000 a year, you are in the top 15% of wage earners in the world, according to the the World Bank. And they take all the calculations of standard of living and cost of living and the the things that, that the economy produces, and they come up with these numbers. So, $32,000 a year, you're in the top 15%. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Household income, 1%. If you make $70,000 or more, you're in the top half or quarter of 1% of wage earners in the world. Many of us are rich. Not all of us. There are some people who are in really tough situations. Talked about that last week. I want to acknowledge that. But the fact is, if you think about these stats, we are rich. And yet, many of us live these rich, stressed out lives. Not lives full of peace. So last week, we talked about examining where we spend our time and where we spend our money to see what we might treasure in our heart because Jesus says that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. But we can have freedom and we can have peace and we can have joy if we're willing to take three critical steps towards being great at being rich. 
The first step that, that I think we see in this section is that, that God is the owner. We have to recognize that God owns everything. He says um, that God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. I was a ministry intern in my early 20s, and I'm meeting this family. I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for their son, and, and so I'm kind of in the dad's den, which is his extended three-stall garage, and it's very neat. I mean, you could have a nice party in this place. There are a lot of um, ministry tools, or just tools, or toys, and so I was kind of ooing and aahing over all of these things in here, and I can't even remember the one thing I saw, but he, he saw me staring, uh, interesting, very interested in it, and uh, he's like, oh yeah, that's blah, blah, and he explains it to me, and I'm like, wow. And he goes, well, you know, if you ever need to borrow that, just let me know. And my jaw must have dropped because I made some comment about how, you know, that's very expensive, that looks very nice, it looks like it's fairly used. And he goes, well, it's God's anyway, so just treat it like it's God's, bring it back when you're done, no problem. And it was the first time I'd ever heard someone say that. And it flipped a switch for me. That, that no, I don't, I mean, yes, I should treat my stuff well, but I should treat it with open hands, and I should see everything as God's. And, and if I have this image, if you have this image, then when someone uses it, they see it as God's. They're likely to treat it well, bring it back, and it's shared, it's used, it's multiplied. And it was this huge, huge moment for me. The Bible also gives several references about how God is the owner. We don't have time to hit every one of these today, but if you're like, well, I don't know, you know, I don't know if the Bible really says that everything's God's. Um, Deuteronomy 8 says that the Lord your God gives you the ability to produce wealth. Psalms 24, 1 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's all God's. Um, Haggai 2, 8 says, God says the silver is gold and the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And in even 1 Corinthians 6, uh, God is talking not about wealth, but he's talking about us, our bodies. And he says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. We belong to God. He owns everything. Now, maybe, again, you're like, well, those are just a few Bible verses. Um, well, think about this. If we recognize God as the owner, what, would that, what positive thing could that do for you? If you recognize God as the owner, then what you see is abundance instead of scarcity because God owns it all. So instead of having to keep uh, this frenzy of accumulation going because I'm not sure I have enough, you can stop and you can say, well, well God owns it all. I don't have to stop accumulating, or I don't have to keep accumulating. I don't have to keep searching for more. And, and one of my favorite, I don't know, do you have that picture, Julie? Like, you can't take it with you. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen this at, at the graveyard, you know, at the cemetery. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen this because you can't take it with you anyway. And the last thing, I think, if, if you see God as the owner, you can loosen your grip on your money and your stuff because everything you own, your clothes, 
your house, your toys, your investments, they're not really yours. They're God's. But it helps you do this. It helps me do this. And God doesn't have this shortage of resources. But, but if God's the owner, it means that he entrusts. He doesn't just give. He entrusts his resources to you and to me. And he wants us to manage them wisely. But we don't have to worry like they're, they're ours. Which I think brings us to the second step of if God is the owner and we recognize that God's the owner, then, then we also have to accept that, that we are the managers. We need to accept our role as a manager. Now, I don't know if you own a business or if you know someone who owns a business. I was just talking to a guy last night who manages a restaurant. And I'm like, oh, it's a Saturday night and you got to be out. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I can take off when I want to. And um, somebody made a, a reference to him a few minutes later about him owning this restaurant. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't own it. I, I probably couldn't be out tonight if I owned it. See, the business owner is often the person who's there before anyone else comes in. And they are often the one who's there after everyone else has left. And they feel this burden for the, the business. They feel this responsibility because they're the owner. But you can always, I, I can always tell when there's a great manager that works for one of these owners. Because even if it's the middle of the day, if they have a great manager who works there, they can leave. They can leave and they can know that that person has the best interests of the business and the owner in mind. And as the, this manager, they can work hard at work. They can do a great job. They can have peace in that fact that they can leave and it's not their responsibility. They can have joy in the fact that if they do this well, their owner is going to be pleased and that's going to actually bode well for them at performance review time. So there's this sense that, that the managers don't have to carry this burden. There's this sense that the managers can, can release the stress because it's not ultimately their responsibility. And there will be a performance review. I mean, uh, this letter we're going to look at in a, in a moment called Second Corinthians says that we're all going to stand before Christ and be judged, be evaluated. Each of us must receive, or each of us will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in this life. Like, we need to realize that God examines how we spend our currencies of time and money. This is in line with Jesus, the stories that Jesus told about people going away and then the owner coming back and the owner doing, uh, holding everybody accountable. Or an owner going away and, and coming back and bringing servants before them and getting a record of things. There is going to be a time where you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to have the ultimate performance review. Now, if we trust Christ, then we know that all the work that he's done has been in our place. We can trust, we can have peace in that, but he will hold us accountable for our time and our money. He'll say, how did you use it? Where did you spend it? What became of it? And when we live in this way, we can realize that as a manager, that, that 
rather than live in fear of that, that review, we can live in the hope that God is good, that he's a good owner, that he has given us the tools and the resources to be a responsible manager, to be a person who is wise at being rich in their time, in their money, and in their resources. And the greatest thing is, is that we have access to every one of God's resources. Have you ever been asked to do a job and then not given the resources to do it or not given the authority to do it? It's one of the most frustrating experiences in the world. Well, um, Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says this. says, when you accept your role as a manager, you understand that God writes your name on his accounts. Okay? So, I don't know, uh, I think Bill Gates' net worth uh, in 2014 was like 76 or $78 billion dollars. I don't know, I can't fail them that number, but it's a lot, right? God's, like, that's peanuts. That's nothing. Our name is on God's resources. It's on his accounts. As someone that, that says yes to him, that believes in him, that trusts him, God gives us unlimited access to those accounts. He knows that He's going to give us some resources, put some resources in our accounts, and we can essentially decide what our salary is, what our living expenses are, how we spend that. And he trusts us to do that. He actually delights in us being responsible with that. As, as if you're a parent and you see your kids develop and see your kids do something that's responsible and you get excited about it or you see a, a, a friend or a niece or a daughter or a son go off to college and, and make wise financial decisions and make wise decisions with their time. You, don't, you, you rejoice in that. And this is what God wants us to see is that he wants to know how we spent it and he wants to know what's accomplished to it so that he can say, well done, God doesn't rejoice in coming down on people and criticizing people and, and sending them away. But he's, he's true and he's righteous. And, and I think the thing that is most encouraging about the verses that we've been looking at last week and this week is that, that God just lays out his expectations for how to not just recognize or accept our role as a manager, but how we become great managers, people that are truly rich. His expectations are right in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now next week, we're going to talk about this other part. I'm actually rather excited about it, about being rich in good deeds. Maybe you are too. Maybe you do things like this. And, and this is an amazing expectation that God has for us about being a great manager and being truly rich. But today I want to just talk about what it means to be generous and willing to share. See, if we were honest, most Americans are not great at being generous and willing to share. Like according to um, the credit card website CardHub, New, new credit card debt in 2014 exploded by a net increase 
Let me get it right. Of $57.1 billion. New credit card debt. With an average household, like, over um, recurring balance in each household of over $7,200 monthly. That's a lot of money. We're, we're way, way not great at being generous and willing to share, unless it's, you know, being willing to share with the credit card companies. So Barna Research Group, which is a, a group that conducts surveys and does analysis, especially with Christians, people who profess a belief and faith in Jesus. They conducted this research two and a half or three years ago, and they found that about one out of nine, 12% of people, one out of nine gave 10% or more of their household income away to God and God's kingdom through churches and mission organizations and nonprofits. About 12% of people. So they also looked at the average giving of household incomes among people who profess a faith in Christ. So if you don't profess a faith in Christ, I'm not, not saying anything towards you, but just this is what Barna Research Group said. The average giving percentage to household income among people who profess a faith in Christ was between 25 and 4%. Now, Christians are some of the most generous people, like, worldwide, so we could just compare ourselves to super stingy people and be like, hey, we're doing better than them. You know, but most people who want to be great don't compare themselves to mediocre people. If we were honest, I think a lot of us would say, our hands are tied because of debt. And that, that may not even be, like, overspending debt. That may be, I made a mistake debt, or we had an unexplained medical bill, or I didn't see this coming, and this is how I had to do this. But if we're honest, we have to say, if we have $7,000, um, the, the credit card research thing is like 8700 is unsustainable. So it's almost 90% towards unsustainable, like unable to pay it off debt. Our hands are tied because of that. Some of our hands, we'd have to say, if we looked at these statistics on giving, our hands are kind of closed. We see it as ours, our money. Some of us who um, might say, okay, fine, I'll just, if, you, if the point of this is, you know, you telling me to give God 10% and then I get to keep the 90 and it's mine, I would say, actually, no. <laughs> no, because then you miss point one, like this first step. God is the owner. He owns all 100% of everything we have. But he says, this is the way we store up riches in heaven. The point isn't how much you give or where it goes or what you do. The point is where we look and how we invest. And if we invest in things that have eternal value, there will be eternal returns. If we only invest in things that are earthly, they won't last. And I'm not saying any of this to say that the church finances are in the toilet. They're not. We're actually doing pretty well. And I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty if you're like, does Rob just want to make us feel bad? No, not at all. Um, I think God wants us to look at how we hold our hands. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to look at how we feel about being great or being below average or or what we do with our time and our money. But I think 
Ultimately, Jesus just wants to take our hand and say, I want to show you how to be a great manager. You can be truly rich if you just, if you become a great manager who's generous by giving intentionally. Now, 2 Corinthians is a letter we just talked about a second ago. And in this, these people in um, Ephesus that we were talking about last week and in Corinth are part of these two peninsulas that are Greek in nature and they are, they are shipping ports. They have some of the world's wealth. They have a ton of the world's wealth. And, and the, the, the message of Jesus has now exploded kind of from the Middle East and gone out and around. And the people in Jerusalem are desperately poor. They're oppressed by the Romans. They keep getting taxed more. They have almost nothing. And so as the message of Jesus has gone out, how Jesus, who was rich, became poor to become rich so that we could become rich, these people have responded, and they've responded by not only opening their hearts to Jesus, but opening their wallets to Jesus, especially for these people in Jerusalem. So they've already talked about how they're going to give an offering, a significant offering, to the poorest of the poor in Jerusalem. And so this writer, Paul, writes to them about that offering. And he says this. He says, remember that a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But those who plant and sow their seeds generously get a generous crop. So each of you must decide in your heart how much to give. And not, don't give reluctantly or out of response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide you with all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say in Psalm 112, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then the seed back to make the bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then you will be able to produce a great harvest of generosity. It's like you will be made rich on every occasion to be generous on every occasion. And yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyously express their thanks to God. See, if we want to become great managers, not just people who accept their role, but people who become great at it, we give intentionally. Giving intentionally is this idea of deciding in your heart how much to give. It's not saying that, like, you wait to give something, you wait to open your hands up when you're happy, like when everything's great. That's not what it's saying. It's, it's saying, no, deciding your heart means you're intentional. It means you've thought it through. This is a practice that we see in the Bible, all I see in the Bible all throughout, where people are supposed to give God their first and their best. And then we trust him for the rest. And, and one of the greatest principles that, um, that I learned was when my wife and I were dating, we ended up in this not yet married group. Um, and we didn't, it was a great place for us because we didn't know anything about being married and we didn't know anything about finances and we didn't know anything about much. But 
somebody in the group who had talked to the pastor talked about this, this principle called the 10-10-80 principle. And it was, we give 10% of our money to God. We give, save 10% for our future and time of need. And then we live within the 80%. Now, if you've done a financial piece, I believe it might even be 10, 10, 10, 70. Um, but this idea of 10% to God, right off the top, 10% to savings and future times of need, and then, ten, and then live on the other 80%, the remaining 80%. And so from this very moment, we didn't know anything, but from this very day that we started saying, okay, I think God is bringing us together. We're going to get engaged. We're going to get married. From that very moment, we just said, okay, we have like, we have almost nothing, but we're going to give 10% to God. And we were sitting with a financial planner and we couldn't save enough. And this guy says, well, why can't you just cut back your giving? I don't see why it's this big deal. It's, do you think God's going to get mad at you? I heard that your God's a forgiving God. And, and we just looked at him and said, like, it's God's. We, we, can't, we can't rob him. Like, like six months later, he was found to be having an affair with his, his secretary um, and, and ended up leaving the company. Like, so, and I don't say that to slander the person. I just say that to say um, he didn't have the integrity to honor our desires with our money. And we found out in a really quick way that that we were glad that his, our money didn't stay with him. But it was this moment of decide for us where, where we couldn't make the ends meet and we had to decide if God was gonna really truly be faithful. And, and see, God says that he's the one who provides the seeds and the results from it. And, I, and, and we can trust him in that. Uh, Malachi is this prophet in the Old Testament who says that the people were robbing God by not bringing their tithe into the storehouse. So he says, bring your whole tithe into the storehouse and there will be food and food in my house. He says that in, in Deuteronomy, if we bring our tithe into the designated place of, of, of worship, that this... Um, will help us to learn to revere God always. Tithing teaches me to put God first. Now, I, I don't find the 10, 10, 80 principle in Scripture. I do find give God your first and your best, and it, it, it for sure starts at 10%. That's what this word tithe means. It means first, tenth. And... And yet, I see a lot of people who love Jesus, and if you don't love Jesus and you're not like fully committed to him, and you're like, this seems crazy, it does. It does. It might be a good reason to not follow him, but I would probably not believe that. But the most people who kind of resist this are people who've loved Jesus for a long time. Well, it's an Old Testament principle. I don't know if this is really true anymore. Like, Jesus says, of course you tithe, but do the other things too. Like, Jesus went above and beyond the code of the Old Testament all the time. So, this teaches me to put God first, because it takes faith to give first. And, and I want an authentic faith. But the other thing that tithing does is it increases my reliance on God. If you've never done this before, Try it. God says, this is the time, this is the one thing 
that you can test him in. Give back to him at least 10%. See if he doesn't throw open the blessings, he says. Malachi, the rest of 10. Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour it out so much that the blessings will not have, there will not be enough room to store them. Now, please don't hear me saying that God is a genie in a bottle, and if you just give him like this much, then he'll give you back fourfold. It doesn't work that way. It's not an investment strategy. But it is the one thing he says you can test him in. It it increases your reliance on God. It makes you put him first. It is something that is amazing. And and Proverbs says that, that we should honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of all our crops. Like doing it first says, God, you're most important in my life. And I don't know anything else guys, besides our time and our money, that it's so easy to put ourselves or put something else or someone else in front of God. So every month or every paycheck or every week, I examine my time with God. Have I put you first, God, in my life? When we go over our finances together, my wife and I, have we put, does, does it look like, does our checkbook look like We've put God first. And I'm not saying we're perfect at it. I'm just saying we've been faithful. It's, it hasn't been easy to live by 10, 10, 80, but it's been the best thing we've ever done, aside from saying yes to Jesus. Now, maybe you've heard the, the story about the man who wanted to start tithing, so he made about $50,000. So he went to his pastor, and he said, I I really want to start doing this. And so they worked it out. He's like, okay, you make about $4,000 a month, so that would be like a $400 check, you know, if you still know what checks are. And he's like, okay, all right, that's like $100 a week. I I, I can do that. And so for a year, he just did that, and he was faithful, and he was coming to his pastor. This is really cool. Like, I'm not seeing financial blessings, but God's working in this way, and God's working in this way, and God's working in this way. And all of a sudden, after a year, like, his, his, his income just exploded. He went up to $250,000 a year. And so he came to his pastor. He's like, you'll never believe what happened. $250,000. I mean, $250,000. Do you know the blessing? Like, you said God might bless me back, but I can't believe, I can't believe, $250,000. And he's like, wow, that's great. Well, what a great, great, wow. Now, do you, how do you, how are you feeling about writing a $2,000 tithe check a month? And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. That, that's a lot of money. That's going to be a little too hard. Um, do you think that God would, you know, understand? Um, could we pray about this? I don't think, I think maybe God would be okay with just, just the $400 a month. Could we? And he's like, okay, totally, we'll pray. God, we thank you so much for the ways that you provide for us. And we just pray for our friend here that you could reduce his income back to $48,000 a year so that he could tithe faithfully. We can't just, I mean, taking this step of giving intentionally is a huge step in becoming great manager, becoming truly rich. But if we want to really, really know what it's like to be Jesus, we'll give sacrificially. Jesus was in the temple with the people and this widow that had no way of making money came in. She had two silver coins worth less than a penny and she dropped them in the offering. 
and, and there were people giving extravagant gifts. And Jesus said, that woman, she gave the most extravagant gift because she gave all she had. When we realize that the God of the universe let go of all his riches to become a human, to live on earth and die for us so that we might have a relationship with God, we realize, we start to realize what true sacrifice is. We become like God. I just had some friends who, um, one of my last stories here, I just had some friends who um, went off to Honduras, uh, mostly college students, and uh, they left yesterday, and it was so easy to give them money above and beyond what we give to church because I've personally experienced life in this place. And I remember, even though it was five years ago, I remember the look on this family's face when they turned on a water spigot because we dug a trench and a pipe from, from clean water to their home. They'd never had clean water in their village. And now it came like right out outside of their house. And their eyes opened and the joy. I remember praying with someone who didn't just want to thank God for clean water, but wanted to thank them for a clean, like thank him for a clean heart because they'd accepted who Jesus truly was. This text in 2 Corinthians says that when we are rich on every occasion, People's needs are met. And, and they praise God. I can't imagine what heaven is going to be like, but this gives me just a small glimpse of heaven and all the thanking and praising that will happen with God. If we give intentionally and we give sacrificially, we'll become great managers. For some of us, it just means we have to start. And I, I don't, I mean, I think, I think the scriptures are clear in this. I've tried to be straightforward about it. But if we were just sitting down over coffee, I would just say, um, if you've never done this, just start. If you're like, I don't know if I want to give it to church. I think you're trying to sell yourself, give yourself a raise. No, like, I'll help you find somewhere else to give it. Just start. Because when you do this, you realize it's how we were created to live. Jesus says it's better to give than receive. I didn't really know what that that meant until until I heard this story from Eugene Peterson in his book, Running with Horses. And he's watching this mother sparrow push her three sparrows to the end of the branch. And it's time to get out of the nest. It's time to learn to fly. And, and, And she's pushing them to the end. And finally she nudges and the first one falls off and like, and then... Flies, and, and, and this is over a lake. She, I mean, they wouldn't die. They wouldn't splat and die. But, you know, somewhere between, between the branch and the water, don't want to go morbid, somewhere between the branch and the water, like the wings went out, and this little bird starts to fly. Nudges, nudges, nudges. Second one, same thing. The third one, stubborn little dickens. Like on the end of the branch, on the end of the branch, on the, like pushing back on mom. Push, all of a sudden, like seized kind of the end of the branch and mom nudges and all of a sudden the, the bird releases just enough to like swing down like a gymnast and then grabs on. And so the little sparrow is teetering on the bottom of the branch, not making this up. And, and the mom looks 
And the mom starts pecking at its claws. <laughs> because the mom knows what the sparrow doesn't know. Like even though it has feet and the sparrow can walk, and even though the sparrow has these little talons that can cling to branches, that's not how the sparrow was made to live. That's not who it was created to be. And so this mom pecks, 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 and all of a sudden, like the pain of holding on is so much more than the, than the insecurity of letting go. And this little bird, let's go, boom. And it flies. Because that's what birds were meant to do. Friends, when we open our hands and give, yes, money, but way more than that, we are doing what we have been created to do. We are most like God when we give. Where is it going to start for you? So that you can not only give, but when your hands are open, you can receive God's blessings. You pray with me? God, I pray and thank you that, that you do own everything and that you have given us this model. You've never asked us to do something you're not willing to do. That you forsake all your riches and you came to earth. And God, if we've never understood that, I pray that we would, that we would understand and accept that today. That, that Jesus, you were God. That you came to earth. That you lived and you died and you rose again. And that when we believe in you, when we accept you, that you live in us, that your spirit comes with us, that your, your, your love and your, your forgiveness washes over us, that your leadership and your lordship flows through us, and that we can live a new life. God, I pray that we would say yes to you today for that. For those of us who've said yes to you, I pray that we would see that whatever, whatever riches we have, that we'd see the responsibility in that that you're the owner, that, that we're the manager, that there will come a day of, of performance evaluation and that we can be great at being your managers by giving intentionally and giving sacrificially. And if we've never done it, I pray that we'd start today. God, if we've done it and it's grown stale, I pray that you'd stretch us. You'd stretch us for ways to invest in your work eternally because it can't come with us. I pray for those that are struggling with this message. I pray for those who are struggling with their finances, who aren't sure how the bills are going to be paid, and to ask to give God first seems ludicrous. God, I pray that you'd meet everyone where they're at, and you would take them on a journey towards you. Help us to be the givers that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.